Hello and welcome to our viewers. My name is Elenia Yala and I am a Schwarzman Fellow at the National Committee on US-China Relations. Today I am joined by Paul Triolo. Paul is currently Senior Vice President for China and Technology Lead at Albright Stonefried Group, a Senior Associate with the Trustee Chair in Chinese Business and Economics at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and has served in senior positions within the US government for more than 25 years. Paul, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. So today we're going to be talking about blockchain technology in China and its impact on US-China relations. So just to begin, Paul, can you tell us when did China first start using blockchain technology? Well, that's a good question. I think it's important to note that China very early on was became aware of the use of blockchain for things like cryptocurrencies and in fact was one of the sort of early pioneers of regulation in the crypto space. So uh, I can still remember in 2013 when uh, the PBOC, the People's Michael China, issued a statement that's basically saying Bitcoin, for example, which is sort of the first blockchain company or not company, but blockchain project declared that Bitcoin was not a currency. And so I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and blockchain were on the radar of Chinese authorities, you know, pretty far back and as far back as 2013. And then, of course, over the next six, seven, eight years, China in the cryptocurrency space enacted a number of policies that basically shut down um, the cryptocurrency part of and use of blockchain in China, um, you know, banning initial coin offerings and banning uh, mining eventually. And then really in, in 2021, the PBOC basically banned all cryptocurrency transactions. But what the cryptocurrency craze had done was sort of highlight the, the, the technology underlying cryptocurrencies, which was blockchain. And so the Chinese government and, and, and industry since then have really been attempting to leverage the, uh, the underlying technology and the advantages that blockchain provides while trying to, to scrupulously avoid the cryptocurrency part of that. And cryptocurrencies are really just the native currencies, if you will, of, the, of, of a particular blockchain type of blockchain. And there are many different kinds of blockchains, which we can talk about. But there's, there, there's a recognition in the Chinese government that blockchain is useful for many different applications, which we can talk about. So the, the, the challenge that the, that, that, um, that Chinese financial authorities, for example, have faced and have really driven this is that they don't like the the decentralized financing part of, of blockchain. They don't like um, the sort of the whole cryptocurrency piece of that strikes them as as, a, as, as bad and undermining centralized control, um, for example, of the financial system. And so they've worked scrupulously to, to restrict um, the cryptocurrency aspect. But at the same time, interestingly, Chinese regulators um, are eager to approve um, various blockchain projects and um, and enterprise blockchains in China, for example, we could talk about um, are are very popular, and there's a lot lot of use cases in China, but they're all divorced from the the currency part of it, and from the sort of um, any kind of um, payment system being used as a payment system. So it's really the sort of uh, distributed ledger uh, technology aspect of blockchains and being able to track things and. Um, and put things on the blockchain uh, sort of immutably uh, that has attracted um, the interest from the, from both the government and the technology sector um, to, to to blockchain. But it's it's a it's a it's a complicated relationship because of the of the cryptocurrency aspect. 
That's very helpful. Thank you so much. Um, on the topic of uh, cryptocurrency, mm -hmm. so Hang Yuping, he's an economist who was a former advisor to China Central Bank. Mm -hmm. He and others have suggested that uh, the government, the Chinese government, should reconsider its cryptocurrency embargo. And he believes that the ban on crypto-related activities may result in missed opportunities to innovate in cutting-edge technologies. Do you think that banning crypto can hamper China's innovation capacity? Well, it's it's a big question. And I think what he's getting at is that the use of crypto cryptocurrency is, or, or sort of, you know, again, native sort of payments capability is, is really an incentive, for example, for developers and in, in a particular project. They're really the, the most successful um, Western projects, for example, um, like Ethereum, and I guess Western may not be the right term for it, but a global project like Ethereum, for example, which was founded by um, Vitalik Buterin, who's a, who's a, who's actually an ethnic Russian, but it has a broad developer base uh, globally. You know, they're they're the, the again the developer base and the sort of project is all helped and fueled by the fact that there's a cryptocurrency Ethereum in this case the, the Ether that's associated with that blockchain. And so I think the the comments um, uh, it, it may, it, that from from this official may may get try, be trying to get at that that it's a sort of ecosystem that where where the cryptocurrency the native cryptocurrency is sort of important an important part of that ecosystem. And if you take that away, then you take away some incentives um, for people to get paid for developing projects or for just easing transactions on the blockchain, for example. Because um, if you don't allow the cryptocurrency uh, a native currency to be used, then you you introduce um, you know other complexities into 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 the uh, to to the use of those blockchains. Example, for example, for payments, um, which is one of the big the big use cases, of course, for cross border payments and, and sort of frictionless payments. Um, and so um, you know that's what I think he's getting at. But um, you know, I, I, it's hard to say wh where that has. Um, you know where, where where the exact impact on innovation comes from. Chinese companies have been pretty innovative. A lot of Chinese companies have developed their own blockchain projects, and there's this thing called the Blockchain Services Network, which we, which we should talk about, which is a a bigger effort. Um, and again, all of these native blockchains in China are not um, don't have that cryptocurrency sort of piece to them, um, and that's an important part of the equation. Yeah, that's a great point. So talking about that. Um... Crypto is not allowed, but other forms of blockchain are. Um, can you tell us a bit about what forms of blockchain are in use in China and what industries or if the government uses blockchain? Sure. So um, there are a lot of um, there are a lot of um, uh, efforts to use blockchain in different in different applications, and so um, in China. Um, they're, they're, the, the, the Cyberspace Administration of China, for example, approves licenses for different blockchain projects. And so um, they've done, and they've done this, this gives you a sense of the scope and scale of how blockchain is being used in China. So the CAC, um, you know, requires registration of the, and, and approval for, of a license for blockchain projects. Um, and they've done something like seven or eight uh, tr tranches of approvals um, and as of uh, last time I looked, it was you know mid, earlier mid mid 2022. There were something like uh, there were almost 2,000 licenses <laughs> approved um, f 
for um, uh, for different blockchains in China. So there's sort of, and these are these are uh, I guess these these are presumably sort of you know company specific kinds of blockchains that are being used for internal purposes. So there's different kinds of applications here. There are there are sort of company specific blockchain platforms that they're using internally. And then there are also projects, which we can talk about, which are sort of enterprise level blockchains um, that are that have also gained uh, currency in the West, like Ripple and Corda. And, um, and there, you know, there's a number of, of, of bigger enterprise blockchains, which are not, you know, for sort of personal use or they're, they're, they're for they're for, uh, for for use within a corporate structure they're usually permissioned blockchains so that's another big difference I think in China there the, the, te the tendency has been to use more permission blockchains rather than permissionless blockchains which is what the cryptocurrency um, uh, projects are like ethereum and, and, and Bitcoin um, and so I think that that th this evolution has occurred over particularly over the last four or five years and so for example the CAC has approved um, blockchain projects for a whole host of companies. I was actually in China at one point um, before the pandemic, and I, I had a, a full tour of JD.com's um, sort of uh, uh, business model and, and some of the some of the activities they were doing. They're a big e-commerce company, and they were using blockchain, for example, to track the commodities they were selling, particularly food items. Sort of from you know catching the fish, putting it on a truck, trucking it to a processing plant, and then finally ending up in um, in a store. So that's one of the one, a, a good example of a use case that seems to be pretty popular. So I I could actually scan the QR code um, on my phone on the fish, and it would tell me it would sort of give me the whole history. So this is a food safety issue in China. So this is one of the big applications that for blockchain that um, that has sort of become popular, um, uh, tracking food <laughs> from, you know, the, the, and, and that, of course, stems from a lot of the food crises and, 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 and scandals that have happened in China. So that's one, one particular use case. There are other examples. Um, there's a national uh, health data chain, for example, which is which is designed to sort of put healthcare data on the blockchain that's a, that's under the National Health Commission in China. That's another sort of broader data sort of data management use case uh, for blockchain. Um, there's also things like the Beidou chain, which is managed jointly by the central bank and and MIT, the Ministry of Information uh, Techno in, in, Industry and Information Technology, that's used to handle transactions. Um, that are that that involve China's Beidou satellite system. So you know that so the government views again blockchain as this is this uh, this this technology where the barriers to entry are low in China and that China China Chinese companies should use this and so you also see in many many statements like national five-year plans or or, or long-term plans for technology development the, the 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 blockchain is always included in there along with 5g and AI and uh and other technologies as sort of areas where China and Chinese companies should lead so there's also so for things like logistics and that that's where sort of the government is focusing the efforts and where these licenses coming from CAC are focused on things like logistics healthcare data um Huawei Huawei cloud there's a blockchain that Huawei has that's um that's that's um that's that's been approved and then there's also things like for NFTs uh, non-fungible tokens that also uses blockchain technology that that's been sort of a rage in China uh, for a bit over the past um, couple of years. This is things like digital art or other you know, other other things that can be digitized or tokenized and put on the blockchain. And so CAC has approved some some blockchains that are that are involved in NFT projects. Although that's a little bit controversial because you know the regulations around that. Normally those NFTs are paid for using cryptocurrencies. 
Um, and so uh, there's been a little bit of, uh, of issue around that. And then, so 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 basically, there are these categories of sort of enterprise level blockchains for specific purposes like logistics, more national efforts um, like this healthcare data to put healthcare data on, on the blockchain, and and for broader logistics purposes and things like Beto. And then there's also um, um, this national project which we can talk about um, called the Blockchain Services Network, which which is a large permission blockchain that it, that that um that was set up uh, under the state information uh committee um SIC under under the NDRC the National De uh, Development Reform Commission and that's that was intended to be sort of a national blockchain platform that would allow um things like um um, um applications to be developed on top of that that could include payments and that has also has an international uh element to that um that's being pushed uh by a company called Red Date which is which is working with the, the Chinese government and as that that may eventually get to this bigger issue of blockchain being used as part of cross-border payments so there's a whole you can see there's a whole range of of areas where where the Chinese government is is sees blockchain as as being advantageous and then Chinese companies um across the board have sort of put forward um projects related to blockchain in part because of I think the government saying hey you know this again this is a technology that China should should be leading on um but again because they they, they sort of divorced it from the cryptocurrency uh, uh aspect they've been very careful to to to, to keep continuing uh, to, to 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 emphasize that they that, you know blockchain itself is fine the technology is good they're good use cases but don't don't uh try not to to use it for um for things like um uh payments and so the, for example for nfts you can use alipay and wechat pay to pay for those um, which are sort of normal digital payment platforms but but there's no inherent cryptocurrency there so that that's it, it's been sort of i would say it's been a little bit of a, almost a craze for blockchain um and some of these use cases seem to be you know pretty good like the the, the commodity tracking um but it's still very much um uh, a process to develop and then finally one final point is i think the chinese um government and companies also see the use of blockchain for example in metaverse related applications and so metaverse is another one of these sort of buzzwords and and um and and and, and you know getting a lot of attention in China and so whenever you hear metaverse being mentioned there's usually a blockchain piece to that right because that would form the payments layer uh for example in in some blockchain and game and gaming could could also be be used um but again not the cryptocurrency using you know RMB to actually um pay for those uh blockchain applications in the metaverse yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. And I can definitely see how that might be a little bit conflicting at times with NFTs, for example, being a new form in some cases of digital art. And art has also historically been a way of accumulating wealth, right? Right. So sometimes that could get a little bit tricky to enforce, um, I would imagine. Now, I yes. wonder... Sorry, yes. So no, I'm just gonna, yeah, anything that involves... <laughs> that involves sort of um you know using alternative uh, instruments that don't don't run through um Chinese centralized financial authorities sort of oversight or or you know ability to sort of track it, it ends up running afoul of the system and so yeah nfts and uh and um and particularly cryptocurrencies are just viewed as dangerous instruments that allow things like capital flight um and and sort of you know evasion of, of foreign exchange controls and in, uh, in China and so the, the the central government is very sensitive to these and and will continue to in, in to to in, in intervene from a regulatory point of view 
to try to control this at the same time as issuing documents supporting blockchain, right? So it's a very interesting dynamic in China that you really don't have in other countries where the debate is more about how do you regulate cryptocurrencies? Yeah, well, on the topic, so some scholars have said that, or theorized, I guess, that cryptocurrency might be incompatible with authoritarian regimes, hmm. uh, precisely because of the decentralization aspect. What do you think about that? Yeah, and again, it, 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 you have to be careful what you're talking about here. So, so inherently, you know, blockchain is sort of a decentralized, um, a decentralized um, platform. And so, yes, I think sort of in, in general, the 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 this is why cryptocurrencies uh, sort of be, became you know the focus of Chinese regulatory authorities. And then there's more recently there's this idea of decentralized finance. Um, which is, which, you know, so instead of, for example, with cryptocurrencies having a central exchange hold your crypto, um, you know, there are these decentralized exchanges which are much less subject to control. Um, and then there are things like stable coins, which provide on ramps to those decentralized finance, uh, financial exchanges. And this really scares governments, um, authoritarian governments like China, because even if you try to control those centralized exchanges, for example, which China did, China initially didn't control those exchanges and you had and some of the best exchanges in fact were Chinese exchanges like Binance and OKCoin um, and QCoin. Um, these were the, at one point were the largest centralized uh, cryptocurrency uh, exchanges globally and Binance remains the, the global leader even though they had to sort of move offshore um, as China clamped down on centralized exchanges. But the real the real promise of blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies if you will is uh, is this idea of sort of decentralized payments that don't have to go through a central system. Um, and, you know, you saw a lot of fear, for example, around Facebook, which was going to offer its Libra, uh, later called Diem, uh, cryptocurrency based on blockchain uh, within the Facebook uh, app con context for, for micropayments and small payments globally. And that just ran afoul, not only of Chinese regulators, but of all sort of financial um, centralized financial um, uh, uh, economies and, and, and the regulators in those economies, like the EU and the US, of course, because they didn't like the idea of people being able to use a payment system that was completely outside of their control that used through which dollars and other other fiat currencies would be flowing, but which over which they wouldn't have um, sort of monetary and fiscal authority. And so in general, blockchain and and um, and Bitcoin, of course, that's why Bitcoin was, in some sense, was founded, right? The, the, the founder of Bitcoin was trying to, he didn't believe that central banks controlling the, the monetary policy and, and, and inflating the currency um, was a good thing. And so that's why he, he, he developed blockchain and Bitcoin uh, as the first sort of platform for use of blockchain, because he, it was a philosophical thing. He believed that, that you know, central authorities controlling the, the, the monetary system was bad particularly because of inflation, the, 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 the tendency of governments to inflate the currency. And so inherently blockchain is sort of a subversive technology. And then in China, finally, you also saw other things like people, dissidents uh, putting documents on the blockchain, for example, that were then sort of immutable uh, on the Ethereum blockchain. You know, dissident documents or documents um, you know, about certain scandals or you know, sort of almost public being able to publicize um, things that the Chinese government didn't like. And so that also led to some of the some of the clampdowns around how blockchains were used and that and that's the the, the the being afraid of, of allowing 
these permissionless blockchains like Ethereum to be widely used in China because they could be used for other things besides payments, but they could be used for things, for example, for putting documents on the blockchain. So the blockchain technology in itself, I think, scares um, authoritarian governments. That's very helpful. Thank you. Um, as we get closer towards the end of our interview today, uh, I'm curious about what do you think all of this implies for or the, the future of Chinese society, but also specifically how might it impact US-China relations based on how the United States is regulating blockchain versus how China's regulating blockchain? That's a really good question. So, so I think there's two, two, two aspects to that. One, one is the, um, you know, this sort of just the, just the cryptocurrency piece, right? So the US is trying to get its hand and other governments are trying to get their hand, Western governments around how do you regulate cryptocurrencies? And in some sense, China is seen as a leader in that, right? Because China decided at some point, we're not, we're just not going to tolerate this. We're not even going to tolerate mining, right? Which, which they did for, for a long time. They tolerated the mining of Bitcoin, which was, which at one point China dominated, Chinese companies dominated. So on the one hand, um, at the sort of regulatory level, the U.S. And, and other Western democracies may be moving towards a more China-like approach to cryptocurrencies. But on the blockchain side, it's a very different, a di very different issue. Um, and then you get into things like um, central bank digital currencies, where China conversely is leading in terms of deploying a digital, uh, the digital RMB, for example. And one concern in the West then is over over this issue particularly in, in the US, that China's leading in the deployment of central bank digital currencies. And then on top of that, you have this, this, uh, this, this um, project that I mentioned, the, the, um, the, the blockchain services network, which is seen in, in the US government, for example, as an attempt, as part of a broader Chinese government attempt through the digital RMB and through this, this, this blockchain services network, which now has an international component to it and is being trialed, by the way, in other countries um, and actually, uh, there are projects, for example, in Hong Kong and the Bank of Thailand that are sort of sanctioned by the Bank of International Settlements in Switzerland uh, as sort of a platform for eventually interoperability of central bank digital currencies using blockchain, right? And so the U.S. government very much views that whole effort, which is going to be a long-term effort. This is a very complicated issue um, uh, when it comes to, to using a sort of a blockchain platform broadly to to enable exchanges uh, interoperability of central bank digital currencies that's coming but that's that's a that's a 5 to 10 year project but china is leading in leading in that area so the us government sees this very much as an attempt to circumvent you know to provide a, an alternative to us a dollar for example for dollar settlement to circumvent us sanctions law right in the context of um of us china relations and russia uh, of course and 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 uh, these these situations where the us government has very much leveraged um its dominance of the dollar system globally to cut off countries and companies um, from that system through sanctions um, you know, uh, implemented by the Treasury Department. So the bigger picture is that 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 um, blockchain is part of that equation uh, because of, in particularly, this, this uh, blockchain services network and what they call the Spartan network, which, it, it, which is, you'll see periodic stories in the media about this, um, but this is a long-term effort um, to, to, to establish this, this sort of global um, uh, new new financial system, if you will, that where where the 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 issue of of, of sort of sovereign uh, digital currencies and, and central bank digital currencies is, is going to be really salient here. And China again is leading 
in that area. Um, and the, the, the CBDC that, that's being, the digital RMB, for example, is being widely deployed now. You can, you can get it on your wallet, on your phone. Um, there's lots of pilot efforts to do this. It's, it's not necessarily itself based on blockchain. It's not clear that there, it's really not a blockchain based, uh, based um, currency, but the idea is that blockchain would be used as part of this broader system to, to deploy the digital RMB and other digital currencies globally and, and have them be interoperable. And blockchain would provide a good platform for doing that because of some of the security features and um, and sort of the the the, the, the technical uh, advantages that you get from deploying blockchain. But that's still very much a work in progress. Um, I'm actually drafting a paper on on the blockchain services network and sort of how that will um, how that will unfold globally, and then how um, you know the U.S. government is likely to, to react to those kinds of developments. But it's definitely a very interesting part of the equation of U.S.-China relations going forward, um, because there's a lot of concern in the U.S. about you know any effort that that to undermine the the dominance of the dollar. Um, and the reason that's important is specifically because of things like sanctions, as we've seen in the case of, for example, Russia, Ukraine. Um, and there's now there's a lot of discussion in Washington, for example, about how um, the U.S. might sanction China in the event of, a, of any act activity related to Taiwan. Um, and so part of that, um, uh, you know, the discussion there would be how would China, for example, um, circumvent global uh, international global, global payment systems that were dominated by the dollar, like SWIFT and other other um, uh, interbank inter uh, uh, payment system uh, infrastructure. So it's it's a big it's a sort of a salient issue, and going forward, um, it will become probably even more important um, as China develops blockchain and as um, as as countries around the world figure out that you know a, whether they need a sovereign digital currency or not. There's a lot, still a lot of debate about that. But China has, in the meantime, decided that that was something that um, they would be leaders on. Uh, and the PBOC, for example, has been very active in um, in developing and deploying um, the digital RMB. So it's it's definitely blockchain is a piece of that, not the whole thing. There's lots of other issues around that uh, RMB convertibility, for example, that are compl complicated. But um, blockchain is 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 definitely in the mix. Yeah. Wow. That is fascinating. Um... The topic of sanctions and how this might impact Taiwan. Mm -hmm. um, I have just one final question for you right before we wrap up. So we very briefly touched upon um, NFTs, the metaverse. Mm -hmm. So these might be good topics for a future interview. Uh, and I'm just curious if you could uh, give us maybe like one final like summary, I suppose, of like how blockchain might tie into that. Um, and how the metaverse might actually like play a role in the future of U.S.-China relations, or just a, wow. you know. big, big question. <laughs> Not, we should, that's definitely at least an hour. An another conversation, yeah. Yeah. So a couple things. There's sort of the the um, there's sort of the sort of practical application and use cases for um, that fall under this idea of the metaverse. And really, the metaverse is the idea of bringing together different technologies and AR, VR. Um, and, you know, gaming and, and sort of three-dimensional, um, you know, presence applications like Meta has developed, you know, so you can do, instead of doing a two-dimensional thing like we're doing now, we could be sitting next to each other, you know, in three dimensions at a table. Um, so there's, there's a coming together of technologies for people to be able to interact 
and transact in, in a virtual environment. That's basically what the metaverse is and do it in more exciting and efficient ways. And so, um, but part of that is clearly the most, one of the big important parts of that is economics, is the economics of that. And, and so that's where the payment system comes in. So part of that metaverse development will include a payments layer, which will almost certainly be, be based on a blockchain platform, right? People talk, it could be Ethereum, which is, which is widely used and um is 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 fairly easy to use and and you know so it, it could be a platform like that that's used in the metaverse so blockchain will definitely be a part of the sort of metaverse um uh, development uh along with all these other technologies that are coming together um uh, and and you know we're all living in the metaverse in some way or another right i mean depending on how much time we spend on our phone and everything so but coming together in a more easy way and sort of three-dimensional is, is the is the vision and then there's the geopolitics of the metaverse right because again china is not going to allow a metaverse that has you know cryptocurrencies as the payment system so um next week actually um i'll be publishing an article um on sort of the geopolitics of the metaverse. And when I was at Eurasia Group, we published two years ago, uh, if you haven't seen it, we published a, a white paper on the geopolitics of the metaverse. And so it's a really important question because there will be multiple metaverses. It will really be sort of a multiverse of metaverses um, because particularly China, um, whatever develops in China into, into what we can call the metaverse will be different because um, they'll want to have more control over the content, though, of course, uh, from a regulatory point of view, and they'll, and they'll want to have, there'll be more control over the um, uh, over the payment system. So, so whatever develops in China will have much more government and regulatory uh, sort of oversight over that. Whereas in the West, we'll probably see you know different types of metaverses develop. We'll have a there'll be sort of a maybe a more public metaverse. There's already a lot of corporate metaverses that are out there that are that are that have very strong use cases. For example, Accenture during the pandemic um, onboarded thousands of new of new employees, and they were all trained in a metaverse environment uh, with, you know, headsets and, 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 and all the rest. So they have this, they, they think that they, they deployed basically the biggest sort of corporate metaverse ever. Uh, and it was used to train and onboard employees, right? So a very, very clear use case. And they just found that that was, that was more conducive to what they wanted to do because it was, you know, again, in the sort of more um, expansive uh, virtual world where, where interaction was, was, was a little bit easier. And so, you know, and then and and those are the kinds of applications. Also, I think that in China will become important uh, for for metaverse. There'll be sort of an enterprise enterprise version, things used for training and other things, and then there'll be this other sort of weird public metaverse um, that will include elements of the gaming industry and um, and certainly um, AR and VR and XR sorts of applications. Um, but that's going to be different than what what develops um, in in the West. And the question of whether they'll be interoperable at some point. <laughs> Um, is a really interesting sort of geopolitical issue, um, and we touch on that in this article that, that I that I'm gonna uh, we'll put out next week. But that's a it's it's a really important uh, point going forward because already the Web 2.0 right is there's a sort of a bifurcation of Web 2.0 obviously, and so this is sort of a Web 3.0 world metaverse world we're in, and obviously these geopolitical tensions and bifurcations that we're already seeing um, in not only the you know web but also in other parts of the technology stack are going to carry over into um into the metaverse <laughs> so so yeah. stay tuned the metaverse is going to be um, a battleground for you know a geopolitical battleground and great power competition um across all elements of that metaverse um but it's going to be um it's going to be a, a fascinating world to watch develop um as we go forward
Absolutely. That is super interesting. I would love to talk about that more and hopefully we can schedule a future interview to go more in depth about that. And for now, we are left with your article, which sounds very interesting as well, and will hopefully give us a little bit of background before we jump into our interview. So for our viewers, um, thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you continue to engage with the National Committee's programming and interviews. And if you like this topic, uh, please let us know if you want to hear more about blockchain, Web3, NFTs, or just tech in general. Uh, write to us and let us know. Check out uh, Paul's article and take care. And thanks for watching. And thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. My pleasure. What a great, uh, great questions and great, great conversation. For more interviews, videos, and links to events like this one, visit us at www.ncuscr.org.